Well, welcome to 2019. I, uh, I want to let my words be few this year. I want to say what the Lord has me to say, but I'll tell you, we've had a lot of words, but not a lot of action in the Holy Ghost sometimes. And I want the Holy Spirit to attend whatever I say this year. I'm, I'm just, I'm just in, wanting to set my heart to engage on let me speak what you want me to say, and let me shut up when it's not time to talk. And, uh, and so in the spirit of that, I might be calling Dustin and Jeff up here to help me preach this message, just to be honest. Just to be honest. Because as I was praying this morning, I'm like, I feel the Lord, I love the Lord, but I'm trying to just be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do today. I want the Word of God and the Spirit of God in agreement, and that doesn't mean we just run through every little uh, signal that the Holy Spirit gives us and just go on with our messages. Amen. And so in the, in, in the sense of that, in the spirit of that this year, I feel like, I, probably a lot of us feel this way, God's doing something right now, isn't he? How many feel like the Lord's stirring something unusual right now? I mean, something is happening. And so we, as a, a, a spiritual family and as a leadership team across the whole mission base, we, we just want to engage with what God is doing. And uh, Dustin mentioned tonight, uh, we've, we've canceled our Sunday night service. You know, that's a big deal for, uh, for a, a church, just to cancel a service. It's not just because we want to have fun. It's because we feel like the Lord is doing something with uh, this uh, Christ, is it Christ Fellowship? Christ Fellowship in Dawsonville. He's, he's been moving in a very unusual way. And Jeff and I, we went there um, I guess maybe middle of December, three weeks ago, and uh, it was it was obvious that there was an unusual work of God happening there in the midst, and they were worshiping and preaching the word, and it was awesome. But when they opened that baptismal, I've never seen a hundred people run to the front to get baptized, but that night I did, and the testimonies that they had shared that night—I mean, stage four cancer healed, completely healed people delivered of drugs and alcohol addictions completely set free people with you know anger issues and all sorts of internal emotional things completely set free the lord gave uh todd smith the pastor there a vision and said i'm gonna put fire i'm gonna put my fire on the water and so we (laughs) jeff and i watched it and i've never seen this in my life they were baptizing people and the people would give a testimony they'd put them down, and when they came up, they were completely out in the Holy Spirit. They had to drag them out of the baptismal pool, float them out of the pool, drag them out to the side, and, and, and uh, Pastor uh, Todd Smith, he told us, sometimes they have to lay out for an hour under the Holy Spirit while the Lord is ministering to them. And it's a sign and a wonder how God is ministering to people and so randomly that night, I mean, that was the first time I met Todd. Did you know that? Yeah. And, and, and Pastor Todd and Jeff have been uh, friends for a couple of years now, several years. But that was the first time I met him. We'd known of each other. But uh, we shook hands and we talked for a moment. And he just, he just looked at me. He goes, I want you to come speak at the revival. I want you to come speak on a Sunday night. And I thought, oh, he's just being nice, whatever. And a week later, he's texting me and it's, it's pretty fantastic because he was texting me in a moment where the Lord is just encountering me powerfully, and he texts me right in the middle of it. He said, let's go ahead and land a date for you to come speak at the revival. And I'm like, man, Lord, you're doing something right now. Something is happening. Something is stirring. And so uh, we just want to say, hey, if, you, if you're hungry and if you've got the, the time tonight, come up to uh, Christ Fellowship of Dawsonville. We're canceling our whole service to just see what the Lord will do. And I'll just give y'all a hint. I'm gonna preach on spiritual hunger and I'm gonna be the first one in that baptismal tank. I'm gonna jump head first. I'm, I'm not, are you kidding me? I mean, if God is stirring the waters, I'll be the first one in. That's how I feel right now. And so uh, anyway, we're gonna take this next month and we're gonna do our best to share vision about what we feel like the Lord wants to do with us as a spiritual family, what we feel like the Lord is saying across the body of Christ. I just got back from Kansas City at the One Thing Conference, where the conference was fantastic. Some, you know, 15 to 20,000 people were gathered. 
Uh, but in between every session, I was with my wife, we were in backroom meetings with about 100 to 150 leaders from all over the world. And we were praying together, really in moments of just hearing what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. And so much of what they would do on the platform, they would pray through in the back rooms and uh, of the conference. It was probably the most unusual format of a conference I've ever been to. You didn't really know who was going to speak, who was going to lead worship. But the whole leadership team was sitting there every service, praying, asking the Lord, what's he saying? And then we would go back in the back rooms and we would eat together and we would pray. And then that's what would, would come out on the platform. But uh, my heart, I would just say this, my heart is extremely expectant for 2019. How many of you feel that? Like there's something, man, I've got an expectancy. Let's just pray one more time. And uh, hopefully I'll, sh I'll share what the Spirit of the Lord has for us this morning. Lord, we love you and we're asking for clarity. I ask you, Lord, let me speak as a trumpet. Let me speak as an oracle. I don't care so much about the presentation so long as the heart of what you want us to hear and how you want us to respond is conveyed. So here we are, Jesus. Speak to our hearts. Direct us into the knowledge of your will. I pray that the Holy Spirit would attend the word of God this morning. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here to do everything you want to do. Lord, we love you and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. So I would just share this. I feel, and this would be the consensus of those 100, 150 leaders that I was meeting with last week. Uh, there is somewhat of a reformation happening in the body of Christ right now. If you, if you sense that, could you just say amen? amen. And, and some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and to be quite honest, let me just be really honest. I don't really know what I'm talking about either. Uh, and, and I'm coming to grips with this. Jesus doesn't care if we fully understand what he's doing. He just wants our attention. He just wants our attention. And there is something of a reformation going on in the body of Christ right now, global, across the nations. Uh, some are using the word reset, where the Lord is just setting the church back to really the, the things that are necessary, the things that are needed, uh, to the essentials, and, and calling her out of doing so many things that are non-essential. And, and I feel that way too. I feel strongly that there is a, a major change and uh, there's a change happening and a change coming and it's maybe stuff we're not even uh, completely discerning right now. But I, I do believe this, that the church across the nations is gonna look different uh, in a very short period of time. Uh, I'd say 2019 is a year of transition. Um, many are hearing that word, transition. You're hearing that in your spirit. And uh, I had several people come to me during the conference that I was just at. Leaders, I feel like you're in transition. And I feel like that's for our spiritual family even, what God's doing here in our midst. And so there's a global thing happening where God is re resetting, reforming, transitioning. And there is a local thing that God's doing with us. He's resetting, reforming, and transitioning us. That's a good place to say amen. Like I said, you don't have to understand it. He just wants our attention through it. And I will say this, at the end of the day, the word of God will be central. The leadership of the Holy Spirit will be our absolute feast and, and, and our, our clear director. And, and our hearts will have to burn in passion for Jesus I'm clear about this. The Lord wants to get rid of consumer Christianity. Where we show up to a service, hear someone else talk about their experience or encounter with the word of God or with the Lord, and we hear that, watch someone else worship, and then we leave and we go back doing exactly the same thing we did uh, the, you know, for the previous week, waiting for another weekend where we get to hear someone speak about their encounter with God, watch someone else worship. This is not Christianity. It's not even church. Church is a people, an organism, a body of people that are filled with Jesus Christ, expressing and manifesting Jesus through the earth wherever they go. That's church. 
That's church. And so there's a massive shift in, in the way the Lord is, is going to be moving among his people. I'm, I'm clear on this point. What does it all look like? I don't know. If you're one of these people that needs everything in a, in a four-point outline with every subtitle and every sub-subpoint, I'm telling you, you better just hold on because you're not going to probably get that itch scratched very well. But if, if you're the kind of person that wants to go where the Holy Spirit leads, if you want to anchor yourself to the Word of God and be led by the Spirit of God, that's where we're going. That's where the body of Christ is going. And so today, I want to just share kind of like four biblical phrases that are kind of ruminating in my spirit and, and stuff that's in our, in, our, in our leadership team we've talked about, and, and, and really just kind of just share these thoughts and, and call us to something. Um, you know, I, I wrote this in the notes. The Father is cons- uh, uh, committed to seeing the church become a spotless bride for his son. And he's not willing to let us continue to do church as usual. There is an urgency on the hour in which we live. And, and I don't want to sit here and talk through all the negativity that's out there, but there is a a growing crisis in the earth. There's not political answers. There's not social answers. And we're watching the world become darker and darker and darker, literally by the year. It's shocking to me. And so here we are in 2019, and, but, but what I feel like is there's that frog in the kettle reality. You know, it seems bad, but man, after a while, you just get used to the sin. It seems dark, but after a while, you just get used to the darkness. And, and beloved, that cannot be the attitude in the state of the church. The church can't go ahead and get boiled along with the world. That can't be the thing. The church has to be salt and light. It has to call out for righteousness. It has to have a standard of holiness and a, and a you know, presentation of the man Christ Jesus and And you know, so often the people in the world, they don't like the church because they don't like the Christians. It's not like they don't, it's it's not that they don't like Jesus. They kind of love Jesus and kind of don't like his people. And I would just say, if the people of God are are in love with Jesus and fellowshipping with Jesus and intimate with Jesus and intimate with the word of God, that they're going to manifest a Jesus that the world will realize is love, is powerful, and can change their lives. Most of the problem with the unsaved is they've never seen Jesus, and we've gotten in the way of it. One of my prayers has been, God, get me out of the way. Just get my flesh, just get me out of the way. Too much of me, not enough of you. I was reflecting on John the Baptist, the one who's preparing the way for the Lord's coming, the the prophet that Isaiah named, who would prepare the way of the Lord. And he just said, you know, we don't really read this verse as clearly as we ought because we say, he's going to increase and I'm going to decrease. And that's not what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist said, he must increase. I must decrease. There should be an ever-increasing reality of Jesus in our lives and an ever-decreasing reality of us in our flesh. There should be a place where people, they meet us and they go, man, that, that guy, that girl, they are so different. They're so full of something else. That's not what this world is serving and They should see Jesus in us, shouldn't they? They should see Jesus. I'm not talking about you're mustering up a smile and acting all slick and happy. I'm talking about Jesus Christ is in you by the Holy Spirit, and he's pouring out of your countenance. He's pouring out of your eyes. He's pouring out of you wherever you go. And so they sense him. They hear him. they, they, They see him in you. I wrote this in the notes. He wants the church to become a family of deep affection, burning in passion for Jesus, shining in bright holiness, operating in a prophetic spirit, and urgency for the end of the age. Hallelujah. 
This is my best statement of what I feel like is on the heart of the Lord right now. He wants the church to become a family of deep affection, burning in passion for Jesus, shining in bright holiness, operating in a prophetic spirit with urgency for the end of the age. So with that in mind, let me just give you these four phrases and Dustin, look alive. I think I might call you up here in just a second. <laughs> I was, so I, I, through December, I kind of just pulled back, took as much time off as I could, tried to rest, get with my family some, um, and, I, and I had the opportunity to actually attend uh, a conference. Now, the one thing conference, I was more like in work mode, but I went to another conference at the beginning of December, and um, man, it was probably, I can't remember the last time I attended a conference. It's just been, it's just been years. And so it was one of those deals where a buddy of mine just kind of said half-heartedly, hey, you ought to come to this conference with me. And he goes, hey, I'll pay your way. And I was like, well, I'm always in for a free lunch. So, uh, you know, I just thought about it, said, hey, what do you think? To my wife, she goes, yeah, you should go. And so, I, you know, it was, it was really, it wasn't, it wasn't spiritually contrived for me. I just was like, okay, I'll go. And, um, and so uh, we go to this conference, and it's one of those deals, and I don't know if this ha- has happened to you. It's probably happened to me maybe three to five times in my life, but literally stepped into the conference doors, and divine appointments started happening one after another after another. And there was a pastor I wanted to meet. He's a pastor of a church called Upper Room in Dallas. And uh, I'd heard he would be at the conference for my buddy, and I thought, man, that would be great to meet this guy. We literally walk in the door. We're standing there. My friends are talking to somebody. There's this guy kind of looking at us, and I don't know who he is, and he, and he comes uh, walking over to us. And my friends know him, too, and they start talking to him. And, and they say, well, listen, we want to introduce you to our friend. This is Billy Humphrey. And the guy says, oh, I know who he is. I was reading his book last night. It was on my nightstand. He goes, I don't know how it got there. But I was reading your book last night. He goes, I'm Michael Miller, the pastor from Upper Room in Dallas. It was one after another, after another, after another. And, um, wow, I feel the Lord right now. And I just see God's uh, ownership over me. You know, we're not our own. And he leads us how he desires. I mean, I flippantly said, yeah, I'll go to the conference. And he had me set up with divine appointment after divine appointment. And um, even to the point where Heidi Baker, so it's, I mean, it's just crazy. So one of my dearest friends, Corey Russell, he happened to be coming to that conference too, not to speak, but just to attend. So I end up getting to spend the conference with two of my best friends on the planet as attenders at this conference, and the Lord's pouring into us. It was just a divine setup, just a kiss from heaven. But even to the point where Heidi Baker starts praying for me and Corey, and she's laying hands on our feet, and she is saying, God, use these little boys. And the first time she said it, I was like, come on, you just give me something better. Prophet to the nations would be fine. Just try that. Use these little boys. Use these little men. Then she said little men. I was like, ooh, that's even worse. Little man is, boys are supposed to be little men or not. Use these little men. Use these little men. And she's weeping and crying over our feet, prophesying to us, use these little men. And I just, that phrase, he must increase, I must decrease. But in the conference, um, the first night, one of the guys got up, a guy named Ben Fitzgerald. um, He just got up to open the conference, really. And they had just done worship, and he gets up on stage. And he just says, he goes, as I walked up on stage, I felt the Holy Spirit just whisper to me. Or actually, he said, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. He said, he spoke it to me like a commander. He goes, almost in a military tone. And he's almost like he was calling us all to attention. He said, all eyes on Jesus. All eyes on Jesus. 
And man, when he said that, it was like, yes. But that phrase has continued to resonate through me since the beginning of December. Right now, I can, I can confidently say, the Father is saying, all eyes on Jesus. All eyes on Jesus. And, and, and see, we think we're looking at Jesus, but what I realize is so often, we're really not looking at him. Because our challenge is familiarity. We're so used to doing the church thing that we don't actually, with intentionality, focus our gaze on the Son of God. And the Father is saying, look at my Son right now. But Father, all these things, look at my Son right now. But don't you see I have this issue at work? And Look at my Son right now. But what about my children? My look at my Son right now. Well, I have a ministry. I have things I've got to look at my son right now. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And there's something about a bride. Just when she just catches the gaze of her bridegroom and that look of fascination that comes across her eyes, that's the look that the Father wants the church to have right now. All eyes on Jesus. And it just, that phrase just kept going through me and I started thinking in my family, all eyes on Jesus. In my marriage, all eyes on Jesus. In your vocation, which is us that work at the church in the house of prayer, all eyes on Jesus. But if you're working in the marketplace, if you're a market, like I call them a marketplace missionary, because we're all missionaries in the kingdom of God, it's all eyes on Jesus for you in the sales department. It's all eyes on Jesus for you in the doctor's office. It's all eyes on Jesus for you in the construction crew. Because right now, we need such a focused and steady gaze on the Son of God, one that will transfix and transform all of our interactions throughout our whole life. The church right now has been focused on so many things but Him. And I'm getting painfully aware I'm getting painfully aware of my own ability to be around Jesus without being with him. Do you know what I'm saying? That Christian consumer thing, we get, we buy and consume everything. I put my Spotify on Bethel Music, you know, and just <clears throat> watch the Christian movie and just, what's the latest Christian book? And, and we're just consuming all this stuff about Jesus and, and, and we can easily be around him without being with him, even in a worship service, even in a church service. How often have we come together, sang Christian songs, heard a Christian message, but never stared eye to eye with the man Christ Jesus? I, I mean, I've, I like to close my eyes and picture myself looking dead into his face. And sometimes I look at the carpenter's son and sometimes I look up at the glorified Lord of glory. And sometimes I look at the one that's seated at the right hand. Or sometimes I look at the one with the crown of thorns on his head. But I'm telling you right now, the Father is asking us to put our eyes on Jesus. You sense that in the room? There's a holiness that has got to come back to the church about the person of Jesus Christ. I, I put Colossians 1, 15 through 20 in your notes. I mean, that is an entire sermon series. It's, I really just put it in there as a reference point because to actually expound on it, it would take, it would take weeks and weeks. But let's just read it one time and let it settle on our soul. And I'm asking you right now, Will you this year be intentional to set your eyes on Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And that's the phrase. That in all things he may have the preeminence. Does Jesus have the preeminence in your family? Does he have the preeminence in your marriage? Does he have the preeminence in your job? Does he have the preeminence in our spiritual family? Does Jesus have the preeminence? What does that mean? Is he first? Look, I'm not talking about a salvation experience. I'm talking about the reality of our lives. Is Jesus Christ at the center? On earth as it is in heaven. Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, Jesus is at the center. And the myriads of angels and saints are all giving him due adoration 24 hours a day. They continue to sing holy, 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 and worthy, worthy, worthy. He's got the preeminence in heaven. Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. And if the church is unwilling to put Jesus at the center. Oh, what kind of a church are we? I'm not talking about us, I'm talking about global. I mean, there's got to be a reset back to the person of Jesus Christ, the deity of Jesus Christ, the wonder and the majesty of Jesus Christ, the fascination that his people have with him. And oh, that we would be such a people. All eyes on Jesus. All eyes on Jesus. Well, the next phrase is this. One thing is needed. One thing is needed. Let's just read this from uh, Mary and Martha. Which, you know, is interesting. I saw your wife posted on Instagram this passage. And I was like, she's cheating on my notes or I'm cheating off her or one or the other. It's awesome. Well, I, I just ripped everything she put, and it's right here in the notes today. <laughs> Truth be told, she, she did it, and I did it independently of each other. Let's just read this, Luke 10, 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. She came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all this serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Wow, she was feeling it that day. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her couple thoughts. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus exactly the same. John eleven five 5 says it. It's just a, one sentence right there in the middle of the next chapter. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. She loved them the same. He loved them the same. He didn't have a favorite. They were all his favorite. But the, the biblical testimony of Martha is tough. She was distracted, worried, and bothered. Just think about that, those three words for a minute. Distracted, worried, and bothered. When you're distracted from Jesus, you begin not to trust him. So you begin to worry. And when worry is how you respond, instead of trusting, faithful obedience, you start getting bothered about everything. Your soul's not right. Do you know what I'm saying? And so this, the problem with Martha wasn't that she wasn't loved, and it wasn't that she was serving. We tend to pit the serving against the sitting, and, and, and I'd say both are critical in the kingdom of God. We're to sit and we're to serve, both. But, but the issue with, 
with Martha was whether she was serving or sitting, she was distracted in all of it. That was the issue. And man, I don't know about the rest of human history, but I will just tell you, this generation is about as distracted as I've ever seen in my lifetime. I mean, we are so distracted and our, our, our digital devices are training us to be more and more distracted. It's, it's pretty phenomenal, the level of distraction, till now there's laws against distracted driving. Like, it used to be drunk driving. When I was growing up, right, it was drunk driving. You can't get, you know, drink and get, now you can't be distracted and drive because there's more people dying because of their cell phones than they are because of Budweiser. I don't know if that's actually a thing, but it seems like that. (laughs) But to make laws, don't be distracted. That tells you something. If If the legislators see that we're distracted, I mean, how much more is that really true? And so the question becomes, are we, see, I think we all want to see ourselves as Mary. I know I do. Director of the House of Prayer, I'm in the prayer room 20 plus hours a week seeking Jesus, Bible open. But man, when I started just letting those words settle, distracted, worried, and bothered, does that describe me? Versus, you know, Mary, she's focused and at peace, listening. Focused, listening, and at peace. She doesn't know what the Lord's going to do. He's just got her attention. And I had to just deal with this, and I am dealing with this in my own soul, that I I look more like Martha than I do like Mary. You can be the leader. I'll tell you this right now from my own personal testimony. You can be the leader of a house of prayer and have more of a Martha spirit than a Mary spirit. And, And... And so the issue for Martha was because of her distraction, she didn't manage her emotions very well. And because she wasn't managing her emotions well, she was making poor choices. In other words, the way that she was deducing things was causing her to say, the preparations are more important than God in the flesh. Right, right? Like this is, think about this right this second. Jesus or making the meal? Like, anybody goes, well, the meal, I mean, we want a meal. Can we order a pizza? I mean, Jesus is more important. No, I get it. And some of you are like, well, I want to make him the best meal. I get that. But if he's sitting there and goes, hey, guys, come on around. Let's talk. You're not in the kitchen. You're at his feet. And Martha gets bowed up. I just can't imagine Martha. Lord, tell her to help me. That's the thing about a Martha spirit. You know what it does? It tries to pull all the Marys back out into Marthaville. Do you, do you know what? Do you know what Atlanta was called before it was called Atlanta? Marthasville. Martha was the daughter of one of the original governors or something. Atlanta was called Marthasville, and I can feel it when I, when I fly into Atlanta, when I've been gone for a while, and I fly in. You're in the airport, and you start feeling like this jittery, like, i got to do something, man. There's something going to happen here. Something's going on. And I'll go to other places. I mean, I go to crazy, hectic places, and there's more of a sense of peace. If you can be a Mary in Marthasville, you can be a Mary anywhere. And I would just say this. The Lord is trying to shout to us right now in the midst of this contrast between Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha. Everybody wants to pit one against the other. The Lord goes, it's not about who or what. It's not about who I love or don't love. He he just goes, let me just settle the issue. There's one thing that's needed. One thing that's needed. Mary has chosen the good part. In other words, she made decisions based on sitting at Jesus' feet that were the properties. She's chosen the good part, and that won't be taken away. But here's what I'm getting to. If one thing is needed, why do we emphasize so many things? Because we're distracted. 
I remember having this conversation with a pastor several, several years ago, and I was talking, one thing is needed, one thing, he goes, well, I don't know that one thing is needed. And I was thinking to myself, well, you and Jesus have a problem <laughs> because he said it, that one thing is needed. And the point is, not that you only do one thing, but if you do the one thing that's necessary, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does that mean? Sit before Jesus to hear his voice. She sat at his feet and heard his words. That's the, that is how the spirit of prophecy happens. You sit at Jesus' feet till you hear his word. You open the Bible, you read the word, and the Holy Spirit illuminates it to you. That's how it works. You sit at his feet and you stare at him. And that, that's all Mary did. She just pushed everything aside to sit at Jesus' feet. And, and that's where the spirit of prophecy is born. And, and I'll just tell you, unless we can really agree with Jesus that one thing is needed, we're actually askew from the thrust of the kingdom. Am I making sense? And, and so, I mean, my great encouragement. I mean, I, I, there's not a strong enough word. I, command doesn't even work because I'm on the team calling all of us in. Like, I'm, I've got to get called in myself. But, 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 I mean, I'm just struggling to call you into sitting before him. I, I love what Francis Chan said. He said this. He said, silence is not dead space or wasted time. Silence before Jesus is actually biblically prescribed. Ecclesiastes 5 says, when you come before God, let your words be few. And silence before him is supposed to be our appropriate posture. And I just think, man, when all of the activities of human life are revealed when the curtain is pulled back and we watch the number of wagging tongues and wagging heads that filled pulpits and filled church circles and the whole time the Lord was trying to get in there to say a thing, but we wouldn't shut up and sit down. One thing is needed. All eyes on Jesus because one thing is needed. And the next is watch and pray. I'm, I'm short on time, but there has to be an urgency for the hour, beloved. Watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. I know that's what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church right now. Watch and pray. Don't be boiled alive like the frog in the kettle. Watch and pray. When you read Jesus on the end of the age, his main, main, uh, you know, um, Encouragement, his main directive, his main command is watch and pray. Second to that is don't be deceived. Watch and pray. And, and somebody goes, well, you know, the end times are weird. You know, people don't understand it. Blah, blah, blah. How do you really know? I know what watch and pray means. It, it doesn't matter if I know what every prophetic verse means. I, I know what that one means. It means watch, be alert, and pray. That's what it means. Ask God, talk to God, help God. Help God is the easiest prayer. And here's the thing, as a church, we have to be a watchful and an alert community, an aware community, not easily swept away into to the, all the shifting waves of doctrine, shifting winds of doctrine, but we've got to be a praying people, a people that are crying out to God for his interventions in the earth. This is what the church looks like at the end of the age, a church that partners with his heart, cries out for him. I was so... Uh, Intrigued, I got a call from uh, uh, one of the larger local churches here just, just this past weekend. They said, we're doing prayer meetings on Wednesday nights, and, and, and we, we don't really know how to pray. Could you come help us to pray? I was like, whoa. Please come and lead a prayer meeting for us. The pastor's going to be out, and we, we, need, we need some help. I was like, Man, that's something good, you know? When the church said, we have, to we have to learn to pray right now. And I believe that's a word for this congregation. We must learn to pray. It's not, look, prayer isn't for those prayer people. It's not just for those intercessors. 
The Bible is clear. We're all to be intercessors. Jesus himself is an intercessor. He's at the right hand of God ever, made, ever living to make intercession for us. If we're being conformed to his image, what does that make you? An intercessor. And all intercession is is a form of intimacy where we listen to his heart and we say yes to what he's saying. Even more simply, open your Bible and pray back to him the things that are written there. I call it prayer for dummies. Intercession is prayer for dummies. It's so easy. You open it and you go, Father of glory, release the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Yeah? All right. I mean, that's it. And in heaven, they go, yes, it's prophetic, it's profound, it's revelatory. We're all looking for this crazy prophecy. You don't need a crazy prophecy to pray. You have the Bible. It's the craziest prophecy around. This is the, this is the hour we're living in. Darkness is covering the earth. Even gross darkness to people, but God wants to alight on his people with glory. But I'll tell you, if his people won't pray, if all they'll do is be consumers attending sort of the, the Christian like festival, I'm telling you, the spirit of intercession won't fall on that people. They've got to engage with his heart, sit at his feet, hear his word, and cry out for the things that are on his heart. That's intercession. We have to learn how to become a praying people. Why? Because I'm the house of prayer God? No, no. Because the Bible says it. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Jesus, at about the end of the age, the main instruction, watch and pray. Last thought. I'm, man, I'm more burdened than the time we have. This is crazy. I just don't even want to preach, you know. I feel like the Holy Spirit, if he'll just use me, if he'll just use me as a trumpet, that'll, that'll work. But, oh, man. Members of the household of God. That's the last phrase that's in my heart. Members of the household of God. We have got to come out of our free agent mentality. I'll say it again. We've got to come out of our free agent mentality. Not one of us, when we got born again, was born into free agency. We were all born into a family, part of a body. When you were physically born, you were born into a family, part of a body. When you were born in, again in the kingdom, you're born into a family, part of the body. We have this whole sense of, of uh, this... Uh, individual priesthood of the believer, and we think that that means I'm a lone ranger and I can do whatever I want in the kingdom, and that is completely false. You and I are brothers and sisters. We are part of the body of Christ together. You need me and I need you. The, the, the least presentable part, the least powerful one, the, the, I need you. And, and, and you need me, and I need Jeff, and Jeff needs me, and I need Dustin, and Dustin needs me, and Gabe, and we need one another. Across cultures, we need one another. When you hear us, and we're saying there's got to be cultural reconciliation around the cross. We, listen, it's not the white people going, come on, black people, do our white thing. We need each other. I just want to kill that thing. The accusation on either side. It's too much, that cultural reconciliation. It's not enough. You know what? Oh, I don't know all the details, and I don't know all the social issues, but I do know this. We are one in Christ, and we need one another. We have to have one another. We have to. We have to have one another. Male, female, black, white, all the cultures, the church, we're family. We're family. We're body. You cannot say to any person in the body, I don't need you. And I just thought about it. Members of the household of God. 
Sometimes when I've had to straighten my sons up, I just look at him like, you're my son. You're my son. Be with me. Live the way I taught you to live. Act the way I taught you to act. You're a member of my family. And I feel like the father is shouting over us, you're my kids. You're members of my family. Act the way I've called you to act with one another. What does that mean? Deep love for the brethren. That we pour ourselves out for one another. That we care for one another. We look out for one another. We share with one another. We prefer one another. There's so many one another verses. We'll, in the day ahead, and one of the weeks ahead, we'll go through every one of the one another's. There is so much in the Bible about how we're supposed to treat one another because he's our father and we're members of his household. Members of the household of God. Members of the household of God. He's calling his church into John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love is no one than this than he laid down his life for his friends. Love one another as I've loved you. Do you understand how that's impossible? I go, Jesus, you're, you're setting us up to fail. He goes, yeah, in your flesh and your ability, you will fail. That's why you need me. Love one another. Love one another. Hey, Dustin, just come up. Actually, I want him to share his testimony. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we're going to stay till 1130. Make the children's work us all mad. And... No, just share quickly, man. Just share what the Lord's doing, done in you, man. Jeff, come on up, though. If you've got something you want to share, come on. I'll just give you a skinny. Uh, the Lord used Francis Chan to come up and really just speak to the whole body there and said, I think the Lord is saying to all of us, be quiet. Be slow to speak. Quick to listen. I thought I just began to be still before the Lord and, and some things began to hit my heart as it relates to how much he loves me. You see, when he, understand who, I'm, who, who I am for a minute. I was, I was saved and spirit-filled at age 12, came from a loving home, began serving Jesus actively. From 12 and 13 year, years on. I mean, never really backslid, never went into a whole lot of sin. Just, just a really good guy serving Jesus. But, but in those early days, for a long time, I, I served him as my king, right? I was a card-carrying Martha. I was a perfect Martha. God, you're my king. What do you say do? And I'll do it. So I just operated out of Martha. It was perfect because, man, I'm, a works of, I'm, I'm, I'm an acts of service person. On my love language test, I score acts of service big time. So we worked perfectly for, for years and years and years, striving and serving and striving and serving. And I, and I really thought I showed God how much I loved him by loving others. I believe Martha really believed that. She really believed in what she was doing for others and all the preparations. She thought that was how she showed her love to the Lord. Jesus. And she was missing the one thing. And about four years ago, the Lord began to move me out of just seeing him as my, as my king. I began to realize... He's my father king, and, and he loves me. And the Lord just began to shift my whole Christian life on the axis of that reality, that, that in him I have nothing to lose and nothing to prove because I'm his son, and, and he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Nothing and, to lose and nothing to prove. And, it, and it, because I'm a works-based guy, and I thought everything I was sort of doing was what was kind of, was kind of needed. I was wearing myself out and not operating in the... And what I knew, what I didn't know, you know, I just, just do what I did. I just do what I did. <laughs> and, and, he, and he became my father. And it just, yes, Lord. And I began really not hearing, but then it kind of went into mono. Not stereo, but mono. I began to like, okay, I get it, God. You love me. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay in a church. I'm, I'm okay flipping hamburgers. It doesn't matter. I'm okay. No matter where I'm at, I'm good. <sighs> it was life-changing for me. As the Lord began to change my identity. But something this past weekend happened. Because it went from king to father, then all of a sudden to, to, to bride. 
And the love thing began to pierce my heart. And he began to say to me, you can check it out for yourself, Isaiah, Isaiah 62, the word that the God speaks to his people, Hepzibah, Hepzibah, which means beloved. I began to realize, oh my God, he does, it's, it's love. Abide in love. It all began to make sense to me. It became crystal clear in a moment that it's not just about he's my king, not just about he's my father king, but he is, he is the bridegroom and I am his bride. And he loves me that I'm his favorite. I'm his favorite. Guess what? You're his favorite too. I'm, I'm his favorite. I just began to get, oh my God. Just, just the saturation of the love of God. And I began to, it, the, the Lord began to speak. He said, son, you've done so well and you've, and you've worked so hard, but, but you, have, you have loved out of your own effort and you've not loved out of my love. Because loving people is a hard thing. 20 plus years, 25 years in ministry, Man, there's been lots of betrayals and, and lots of hurts and lots of knives in the backs and lots of things been said and, and done and wounds inflicted. And it, and it takes its toll on us. We're all called to love, right? And in a moment, I begin to realize, Lord, it's, it's, it's only when I'm really anchored in your love and I'm experiencing your love that I can love others to the degree that you've called me to love. And then Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples because of how you love each other. I had deceived myself in thinking I was fulfilling the first, first commandment by doing the second commandment. That I fulfilled the first commandment by doing the second. Love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus. And I want to just invite us, guys, to, to, to enter into that place. Now, I don't know what happened to me exactly in that moment, but there's something in Ephesians 1 that says if we pray and ask God for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. What does he want you to know? To know the love of God that surpasses yeah. all knowledge. It's beyond intellect, beyond the cerebral, beyond something that can be studied out. It's an experience with Jesus. Yeah. And in his love and staring in his face will change you. It's changing me. And that's the invitation. Nothing else matters. That's all that matters. To stare at Jesus. And I don't know what to tell you, but just start staring at Jesus. I'm hungry. I'll tell you this. Stare I'm so Jesus. hungry for a fresh encounter with the love of God. I'm so hungry for his presence and for revelation in his word. Look, let's all just stand right now.